Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. It's early in the morning. I'm walking my dog on the trail. It's our normal routine, but my senses are on high alert. Two cougars were shot nearby recently, and I've seen a black bear a few times. I hear something large in the dense forest nearby and pick up the pace. I almost don't see it at first, but there on the path in front of me is a leg, a deer's leg freshly torn. It's a startling and unsettling moment. I love seeing the deer out in the wild. Black-tailed deer are native to this area, and there are many young deer around. I've watched them leaping through the forest, elegant and graceful, full of beauty and life. And of course, the deer leg reminds me of psychic Norm Pratt's discovery of the bones in the woods all those years ago. Norm thought he was close to finding Lisa. It's summer 2020. I'm still searching for answers, searching for Lisa. I'm Laura Palmer, and you're listening to Where is Lisa? Island Crime, Season 1. I was a producer in a big city newsroom for decades. Now I live on an island, and I'm digging into stories I now have time to tell. This is an update on the no longer cold case of Lisa Marie Young. It's June 30th, the 18th anniversary of Lisa Marie Young's disappearance. I awake to a headline that takes my breath away. Skeletal remains found near Port Place in downtown Nanaimo. Constable Gary O'Brien tells the Nanaimo News Now that police are currently conducting a grid search of the area for further information. Quote, It was basically found skeletal remains. BC Coroner's Service has been advised we do not suspect foul play, but it's too early to rule that out. Police have not been able to confirm the age or gender of the remains or how long they have been there, but said it appeared the remains have been there for some time. My inbox is filling with messages from Lisa's friends. Could this be Lisa? I call the Nanaimo police. While I wait to hear back from them, I try the coroner. Their office tells me any information will have to come from the police but they send me a link for a new service. The BC coroner's office has just created a map of all the unidentified human remains on the West Coast. There are 200 cases of unidentified remains. The number floors me. Who are these people? I'm holding on to a hope that this could be it that Lisa's family will finally be able to bring her home. But I also know it's a long shot. 
These remains have been found right in the city, near a bus loop. I can't believe that Lisa could have been here so close for all this time. And then a note from Constable O'Brien. It's not Lisa. The remains belong to a male. This summer has been an absolute roller coaster ride for those who love Lisa Marie Young. Big highs, big lows. But there is nothing thrilling about any of this. Surprisingly, though, there is some joy. True crime stories aren't typically places where you find beauty and light. But there are reasons for hope in Lisa's case now. And so here in the midst of summer 2020, I'm updating Lisa's story with some positive news. When I first began researching Lisa's case, I went down a few deep rabbit holes of subreddit posts and the like. In one such exploration, I found something called The City Without Pity. In discussing Lisa's story back then, People talked about how dark and even heartless Lisa's hometown seems to be, how the conspiracy of silence and the lack of political will felt like the community had turned its back on Lisa. Well, that changed this summer. On June 28, 2020, the mayor of Nanaimo, Leonard Krogh, declared it Justice for Lisa Marie Young Day, an official citywide recognition in Lisa's honor and he quietly delivered the official proclamation into the hands of Lisa's father, Don Young. June 28th is also the day of the annual March for Justice for Lisa. This year, it's a sparkling, sunny day. My niece drives up from the other side of the island to join me in the march. I've made a signs with pictures of Lisa on them, printed on bright lime green paper, Lisa's favorite color and they're adorned with lime green ribbon and glitter. Before too long, I see Lisa's auntie, Carol Frank, and her grandma, Cecilia Arnett. They have a t-shirt for me with Lisa's picture on it. It's the time of the pandemic. The organizers of the walk consider canceling, but they decide to go ahead, urging social distancing. Everyone is wearing masks. Local media... Well, they're here too. Wearing masks for safety and signs pleading for justice for Lisa Marie Young. A large crowd gathers at the Nanaimo RCMP detachment to warm up this cold case on the grim anniversary of when it all started. Everything we're doing is trying to get some brave people in our community to come forward. I look across to see a reporter interviewing politician Sheila Malcolmson the local member of the Legislative Assembly. Having a political presence here to show her support is huge for the family. The march draws about 100 people. It begins outside the police station with Indigenous drumming and prayers. One of the RCMP investigators on Lisa's case is here. She's keeping a low profile, dressed in shorts and a t-shirt on this warm summer day. 
she comes over to say hi and helps me with my poster. The wind is wreaking havoc with the lightweight ribbons. It's a super gusty day, tough to gather sound. After songs and prayers, we wind our way down to the waterfront, stopping on the bridge for a few minutes. I look across and see the parents of another young woman who was murdered not so long ago in this community. Michaela Chang's parents are here to lend their support as well. After the march, the family gathers for a picnic down by the edge of the ocean. Children play in a nearby park. I see Cindy Hall, the organizer of Lisa's Facebook advocacy group, handing out Skittles, Lisa's favorite candy. Lisa's dad, Don Young, sits with his late wife, Joanne's family, happily chatting and enjoying the sunshine. His adult son, Robin, is nearby. This is Lisa's brother, who has a developmental disability. The brother Lisa wanted to support and planned to care for. It's the first time I've met him. Cindy and I talk for a while. She is smiling, upbeat, happy with the turnout and with all of the renewed attention on Lisa's case. Over the next few days, Lisa Marie Young is back in the local headlines with stories of the march, the proclamation, and the anniversary itself. And this year, the Lights On for Lisa event draw supporters from far beyond the community. Hundreds of people light candles, hang Christmas lights, and share images online. Lisa's friend, the singer Alison Crow, begins the tributes on the east coast of Canada, with soft green lights glowing outside her home. That night, here on this coast, Lisa's friends gather around Nanaimo's historic bastion, it too is lit for Lisa, lime green. Lisa's favorite color is everywhere. Before long, Lisa's Facebook page, normally filled with somber notes and cries for justice, is literally flooded with light. The community support is heartwarming. And it's more than that. It's pressure and it's working. Here is local MLA Sheila Malcolmson rising on the floor of the BC Legislature and speaking about Lisa. Member for Nanaimo. Lisa Marie Young was last seen in Nanaimo 18 years ago. As my girlfriend said this morning, I could have been Lisa. I was Lisa. A lot of us in our 18s or early 20s, uh, took a late night ride after a party with maybe someone that wasn't the best idea. Um, it, family never stopped looking for her. Her family from Tofino to Laquia family came out and searched week after week, year after year in Nanaimo, Parksville, Qualicum. Lisa's mom, Joanne, organized a march in Lisa's memory for 16 years straight until Joanne's death in 2018. Joanne's father, Lisa's grandfather, Moses, thinks his daughter died of heartache. If you're in Nanaimo, you can still see the posters. Lisa Marie Young, last seen 
June 30th, 2002. We know more now as a country, as a province, about the tragic epidemic of murdered and missing Indigenous women. And we hear so often in these disappearances, somebody knows something. There's never been an arrest. Her body has never been found. You can act in support of her family. You can join this year's march. Her grandfather Moses, her aunt Carol invite you all, physically distanced, wearing masks in groups of less than 49. Uh, you can contact Corporal, Corporal Marcus Muntner at the RCMP 250-755-3223 if you know something. And you can listen to the podcast that's had huge take up. It's called Where is Lisa? And Laura Palmer is the journalist. All of these actions are a way to keep Lisa Marie's memory alive, to support her brave family, and to jar our community's memory. And the recognition doesn't come just from on high. Just a few weeks after the march, a grassroots community organization steps up. They have identified funds and a local Indigenous artist to paint a mural in Lisa's hometown of Nanaimo. The community is wholeheartedly embracing Lisa's story. Eighteen years after her death, Lisa Marie Young is the talk of the town. I now regularly hear from people who knew her. There's a bittersweet note from a guy who knew Lisa in high school. He had a crush on her. And people are sharing their connections with Lisa. They used to see her at a bus stop. She babysat their children. They worked with her at McDonald's. And there are unintended impacts as well. In this podcast, I identified the driver of the red jag a person of interest in Lisa's case, as Christopher William Adair. But there is another Christopher Adair, an arborist who happens to run a tree service on the island. His wife calls me. What should they do? They're worried people will believe her husband is mixed up somehow. I feel for these folks. It is unfortunate to share the same name with someone of notoriety. For the record, the Christopher Kenneth Adair, who owns a tree service, is not in any way connected to Lisa's disappearance. And most importantly, in all of this, of course, the renewed interest in Lisa's case is also reinvigorating the investigation. Now, far from cold, Lisa's case is indeed heating up this summer. I speak with Corporal Marcus Muntner once again. He's the lead on Lisa's case. He tells me they have received fresh information. More tips are coming in. And they are conducting new interviews. I learn they have spoken with the woman I talked to in Episode 7, the woman who worked at the jungle the night Lisa disappeared. But clearly, those who hold the most valuable information, those who know where Lisa's remains will be found, 
those who have critical evidence about what happened the night Lisa disappeared, are still reluctant to come forward. Lisa's friends worry these people will never step up to the police and that something as public as a Facebook group won't work either. So there is now also an email for Lisa and an appeal for anonymous tips. If you have information and you won't talk to the police and you won't talk to me, there is now another option. Where is Lisa Young at Outlook.com? So, a lot is happening. And behind the scenes, under the surface, more. Over the months I've chipped away at Lisa's case, I've talked to a few PIs. But now, a new investigator has taken a serious interest. He's experienced a former RCMP officer, and he's persistent, at times calling me multiple times a day. He won't go on the record, not yet. I also learn another podcast listener who is well-connected is on the case now too, making discreet inquiries, opening doors I can't get to. At the beginning of my research into Lisa's story, I spoke with Lisa's great-uncle, Terry Lowe. He's a paramedic who lives on the other side of the country. I wanted to get some background on the family, and he generously offered to help fill in the blanks. A story he told me on that phone call remained with me. Hello? Hello, is this Terry? Yes, it is. Hi, Terry. My name and is feels especially relevant this summer. The weekend that that Lisa went missing, I was at work at an ambulance station somewhere in the Durham region. And it was a nice day. It was beautiful, beautiful weekend. Sun was bright. And at this station, there was a bit of an anomaly that they had crows. There was always these crows around. And crows being such a mystical bird anyway, um, every time I would move, this thing would hop around and look at me from a different perspective. So I ended up befriending it, and I would take crackers and put out in the curb, and the thing would come down after I went away and would eat these crackers. So it was kind of a unique experience that way. However, one morning, I went out to the ambu- out of the ambulance station, and there were no crows. And I opened the door, walked out, And then something peculiar happened. A single feather fell from the sky and landed at my feet. What what did that mean for you, Terry? Change. Um, You know, I thought the whole experience was quite odd. In fact, Mm -hmm. I, I relayed that to my wife later that day. And I brought the feather home because it was such a unique experience to have this thing come squirreling down and landing just almost on my boot. And it wasn't long after that, um, two days later, that we received a phone call from um, out west, uh, Don, to say that Lisa had been missing. Call it mystical, call it kindred, call it whatever. 
but I still have that feather today with Lisa's picture. That lone feather, arriving as it did on the day Lisa disappeared, symbolized change for Terry all those years ago. And change is most certainly in the air once again this summer. Lisa's friends have started a new campaign. This pandemic summer of 2020, there are lime green face masks with a butterfly hovering over the words, justice for Lisa. I think of Lisa, alone, in the car, calling her friend, come get me, they won't let me leave. Her last words to Dallas, pleading, helpless. And as desperate and tragic as Lisa's story was 18 years ago, I can't help but feel strengthened by all of the activity happening this summer in Lisa's name. This is the Summer of Hope. I've heard from some listeners, including my 87-year-old mum, that the fact that Lisa's story has no ending is unsatisfying. Worse, it leaves you feeling frustrated. I understand and I share those feelings. But I would say this. At the outset, I thought I would simply report on the facts of an 18-year-old cold case. As you now know, Lisa's case is anything but cold. There is no ending, but there is movement. I will update Lisa's story when there is new information. And now I'm beginning work on season two, another island story. This one also offers the possibility of unearthing fresh information and finding justice. In the meantime, if you want to stay on top of developments and support Lisa's family and friends, you can follow along in the Lisa Marie Young Facebook group. It's a great community of committed people who care about Lisa. And a request. Please do take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Those reviews really do help listeners find the podcast and keep Lisa's story front and center. Big thanks for listening. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime.